Welcome to Hamilton at War, our 12-part weekly podcast series that brings to life in vivid historical and emotional detail Alexander Hamilton's Revolutionary War Service. I'm Robert Child, and I hope you enjoy this latest installment. Hamilton at War, written by Robert Child and narrated by James Gillis. Within a Pennsylvania stone farmhouse in Germantown, Pennsylvania, Washington's subordinate commanders had finished a late council. Billy Lee had just brought a hungry Washington some food. The mood was one of gloom, as Washington's army was licking its wounds from a second consecutive defeat. The first had come at Brandywine, and the most recent, the fog-shrouded disaster at Germantown. In contrast to Washington's losses, General Gates and the Northern Army had secured a great victory at Saratoga in late October, and had captured British General Sir John Burgoyne and his 5,000 troops. Hamilton was at a desk, writing the minutes of the meeting as the last of the commanders filed out. Washington's tired eyes watched them leave. It is evident our troop strength here cannot sweep the British from Philadelphia without aid, Washington admitted. Agreed, sir, Hamilton replied softly, as he continued writing. The suggestion I made to send a representative to General Gates was offered with a singular candidate in mind. Hamilton, now eager, put down his quill and waited to hear if he were the one chosen. Washington, reading his body language, confirmed, Yes, I was thinking of you, Colonel. I'm honoured, Your Excellency. Washington tried to tamp down Hamilton's enthusiasm. Albeit, I have to admit, it may be in some ways a more formidable task than your recent river escapade. Hamilton blushed. We have no idea if Gates has already sent the requested reinforcements to us, and if he has not done so, the General must be convinced in the strongest possible terms to release them. Hamilton nodded in agreement. You will have the widest possible latitude, empowered with my full authority to act as you see fit, Colonel. I will draft a letter to this effect, which you can present to General Gates if necessary. Hamilton, determined to prove himself, said, Sir, you will have the needed reinforcements. In the Hudson River Valley, Hamilton rode through thick woods in the shadow of the Catskills, with the captain of the headquarters guard, lanky Irishman Caleb Gibbs. The men stopped at points to water the horses and rest. Their cross-country journey would cover more than 300 miles. General Gates Camp, Saratoga, New York Hamilton and Gibbs finally arrived at the perimeter of the Northern Army Camp in the fading dusk. The autumn leaves of red and gold in the neighboring hills reflected the setting sun. A sentry met Hamilton and Gibbs and took the reins of their horses as they dismounted. I'll inform the general staff of your arrival, Colonel. You've been expected, the sentry said, as he led their horses away. Hamilton and Gibbs then looked around at the camp. The troops were in demonstrably high spirits. Singing mixed with laughter could be heard in the distance. Hamilton turned and saw a man his age with a wide grin walking quickly toward him. Hamilton squinted. Troop? Robert Troop? 
Troop held out both hands and said, In body and spirit. Hamilton disbelieved his own eyes and slapped him on the shoulder to see if Troop were real. I thought you most certainly dead at Brooklyn. I spent some disagreeable months on the Jersey prison ship, then transferred to Provost prison and was finally exchanged. Hamilton turned to Gibbs. Robert and I were roommates at King's College when I first arrived in America. We joined the war together. It's good to see you, my old friend, Troop commented. Uh, this is Captain Gibbs, who accompanied me on the journey. Troop nodded to the captain. Captain? Gibbs said, My congratulations, sir, to you and General Gates on your magnificent victory. I'll bet old gentleman Johnny was fit to be toyed. Troop nodded. Indeed he was. Come, you men must be tired. I'll show you to your quarters. I'll arrange your meeting with Gates for first thing in the morning. Tonight we celebrate. Troop and Hamilton stood warming themselves by a campfire. They both had pewter tankards in their hands. Gibbs was asleep under a nearby tree. Do you believe we will win this war, Hamilton? Hamilton, taken aback for a moment, turned serious. We must, Robert. The world has its eye upon America. The noble struggle we have made in the cause of liberty has occasioned a kind of revolution in human sentiment. Look to me, I am not native-born and come from less than humble circumstance. I own no land or properties, yet here, through exertion and merit, have risen. No man or country that believes in freedom and opportunity can be held back. Troop pursed his lips. You inspire. Still, I do not envy your mission here with Gates. Hamilton returned a questioning look. He is difficult, Ham. Certainly most unlike your taskmaster. Hamilton granted an if-only-you-knew retort. There is something you should also know, and this I say in strictest confidence. Strong factions within Congress and the army are at this instant rallying support behind Gates to take full command of the war. Hamilton, stunned, exclaimed, This cannot be so! I have seen direct correspondence from General Conway and others to this effect. Gates has the entire confidence of the New England delegation. Hamilton's mind started racing. Had their two recent defeats at Brandywine and Germantown and the loss of Philadelphia sealed his commander's fate? And I fear this situation makes your mission here infinitely more difficult. Troop warned. Inside a small red wooden house, a heated discussion was in progress between Hamilton and fifty-one-year-old, pompous, General Horatio Gates. He had been retired British military when the war broke out and was one of the few American generals with combat experience. Gates wore eyeglasses low on his nose, which had earned him the moniker Granny Gates. Gates rose from his chair and shook the letter from Washington. The majority of my entire forces, two brigades, what, and leave General Clinton to sail up the Hudson and reinforce Ticonderoga while I stand by impotent, and to say nothing of the defence of the New England colonies? Gates stormed back and forth across his office, glaring occasionally at Hamilton. Colonel Hamilton, your general demands too much. Listening outside the door, Troop winced. Hamilton had held his tongue, angered and red-faced. His fists were now tightened. General, it was not a demand, but a strong request. And, sir, General Washington is your commander-in-chief as well. <laughs> Gates returned and stood behind his desk. I must consider this, he said as he sat in his chair. 
and gave Hamilton an are-you-still-here look. You are dismissed, Colonel Hamilton, until I've had such time as to fully evaluate the request. Hamilton saluted, sharply turned on his heels, and exited Gates' headquarters. Troop greeted him outside the door as Hamilton walked briskly away. Troop followed, as Hamilton vented. That arrogant man! He believes Burgoyne's surrender awards him a stature higher than his commander-in-chief! Troop nodded knowingly. Hamilton stopped and turned to his old friend. Gates believes he will be awarded full command of the army, doesn't he? He does, Troop said, as he studied the ground. I must see General Schuyler. Hamilton turned and stormed towards the stables. Schuyler! Hamilton, wait! Troop shouted after him, knowing something about Schuyler that Hamilton would soon find out. Hamilton continued, but yelled back to Troop, I'll see you upon my return, Robert! Hamilton arrived in the late afternoon on horseback outside General Schuyler's majestic brick home, surrounded by a low iron fence. The fall weather had turned sharply colder. He tied his horse to a post and went to the door. As he brought his hand up to knock, the door opened, revealing lovely Elizabeth Schuyler. She could hardly contain her pleasure at seeing Hamilton again. Colonel Hamilton! It is such a joy to see you again. Hamilton smiled broadly. He had thought Elizabeth was still in New Jersey. And you as well, Eliza. You are here on military business? Yes, I have an immediate matter to discuss with your father. Eliza, slightly deflated, opened the door wider to let Hamilton into the foyer. He took in the opulence of the home. Father is just in the study. Can I take your cloak? She then moved in close and delicately removed his officer's cloak. Hamilton enjoyed the moment. Wealthy industrialist and former commander of the Northern Army, General Philip Schuyler, 44, appeared from his study. Colonel Hamilton, what a surprise! How is our dear commander-in-chief? He is well, General, but much concerned with the matter of defending the forts along the Delaware. Yes, yes, Schuyler responded, taking Hamilton by the shoulder. Come, let us discuss it. Eliza, bring Colonel Hamilton some tea, won't you? Thank you, dear. The two men retired to the study. They sat opposite each other in matching red wingbacks in front of a warming fire. Hamilton studied Schuyler a moment, searching for a way to begin. I seek your advice and counsel, General, and perhaps even your intervention. Schuyler was suddenly uncomfortable. Intervention? Yes, sir. His Excellency has entrusted me to secure considerable reinforcements from the Northern Army. But General Gates is indignant, perhaps bordering on insubordinate. Schuyler got up and paced. I'm afraid you have come to the wrong man, Colonel, to persuade Gates. Elizabeth arrived with a tea. The moment was awkward. Um... Just set it down, dear. Schuyler waited for his daughter to leave as Hamilton followed her out with his eyes. Nearly spitting out his words, Gates and I do not speak. He has accused me of being derelict in my duties, laying blame of the loss of Ticonderoga entirely on my shoulders. Hamilton frowned in astonishment. 
Sir, I... As Schuyler waved him off with his hands. No, no, it is quite impossible. I'm sorry, Colonel. You will have to deal with Gates independent of my assistance. Hamilton shook his head and began to get up. Schuyler, wanting to maintain strategic relations with General Washington, however, made a gesture. But at least, Colonel, let me extend my hospitality. It is a cold, dark ride back to camp. Stay and set off at first light. Hamilton, now standing, saw Elizabeth in the doorway, with eyes pleading him to stay. He smiled. That is most gracious of you, sir. I accept your offer. Elizabeth brought her hands together, as if to clap. In the parlour, Hamilton and Eliza were seated in front of a crackling fire. Philip Schuyler entered the room with a grand dame of the home, 43-year-old elegant Catherine Schuyler. The general called to his daughter. We are retiring, dear. I expect you in your room directly. Catherine lightly slapped her husband's wrist. Oh, Philip, Betsy is quite safe with Colonel Hamilton. Philip raised his eyes at his wife as Catherine winked at the couple and added, Not too late, though, dear. Yes, mother. Hamilton, embarrassed, smiled. Catherine pulled her husband's arm. Come along, General. Hamilton turned and took Elizabeth's hand in his. She did not pull it away. I have thought upon you often since Morristown. I did not think that I had left such an impression upon you, sir. Oh, you do yourself a great disservice, Miss Schuyler. Elizabeth blushed as Hamilton continued to move closer. If you'll forgive my boldness, I have seen your face in a thousand dreams. Elizabeth, drawn in, surrendered. Oh, Colonel. They moved closer, and their lips met, and they became locked in embrace. Their shadow, now one cast by the fire, slipped slowly down the wall. Hamilton, outside the home the next morning, held the reins of his horse. Elizabeth, in the glow of love, had joined him. Elizabeth's two giggling sisters spied on the couple from an upstairs window. When shall I see you again? I will pass with Gates' troops on my journey home. Until then, my sweet affections will bind you continually to my heart. Hamilton raised her hand and gently kissed it. Eliza glowed. Hamilton then mounted his horse and turned the reins confidently and rode off down the path. Eliza remained, watching him leave. In his tent in Gates' camp, Hamilton stewed. He was deliberating his next move when Troop entered. I bring somewhat welcome news. The General has relented to allow one brigade to be dispatched south. Hamilton shook his head. I was charged to secure two. And then he stopped. Robert, what if Congress does award Gates full command of the army? Troop did not have an answer for him. What brigade am I to escort south, General Glover's? No, I do not believe it is Glover's. 
Whose then? Hamilton asked. Patterson's. Hamilton's face searched the name. He hadn't heard of Patterson before. Ham. It is our smallest, with just six hundred men. Six hundred men? Hamilton leapt to his feet. No, no, this is quite unacceptable. Schemes of Congress or not, a brigade so small will be an embarrassment upon me. I must see Gates at once. Hamilton barged through the door of Gates' office. Gates, immediately upset, stood defiant. They came face to face. See here, Colonel, how dare you storm into this headquarters? General Gates, I do not consider it either compatible with the good of the service or my instructions from His Excellency to consent that the brigade you selected should march to him. You're out of line, Colonel. Cards! I shall not be dictated to by an aide-de-camp. Hamilton wound up and got right in Gates' face as sentries entered the office. I speak in your commanding general's name, with his absolute authority to demand you to comply with his request. You will, at once, release two brigades to reinforce our army in the south. Gates was speechless, red-faced, and backed into a corner. The room stilled. Does your silence indicate that you disobey the express wishes of your commander-in-chief? Gates blinked. Washington was still the highest military authority in the land. Gates closed his eyes a moment, then opened them and sighed. No, Colonel. The additional brigade shall be relinquished. But hear my words. I will shoulder no responsibility for insufficient defences if enemy forces decide to march north. Sir, your fate and responsibility in that instance will be for your commanding general alone to decide. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Thanks for listening. I'm Robert Child, and be with us next week for another exciting installment of Hamilton at War, only on Point of the Spear. Music licensed from audioblocks.com. Point of the Spear is produced by RSC Media Group.